Oh, hey guys, Andrea Gazetta here. I just wanted to pop in and let you know that on Friday, August 12th, I am going to be releasing uh, my new book. It's called Stratosphere. It's a compendium of all of the original artwork that I created for my solo show Stratosphere last April at Far Gallery. It's going to be 120 pages. It's seven, uh, eight by 10, all color, has a lot of like writings, some poetry. I explain sort of why I created the work, why it's important to me, my thoughts and feelings going into the show. And then of course, images of every single piece in the show, as well as like some beautiful sort of close-up images to get a sense of the sexiness of the texture. I'm really excited about it. It looks super cool and it's only gonna be $30. So it's super affordable. I know I had a lot of people reach out and say that they love the show but they don't have you know $300 to take home an original piece of artwork so I think this is a really good option if you like the show and you want a little piece of that that will be available on my website that's at andreagazetta.com shop if you go there now and you don't see it uh it might not have come out yet. That's fine. Go ahead and just click the link and subscribe to my newsletter. As soon as the book is released, you'll get that information that it's released and you can go ahead and pre-order it. This is going to be a closed edition book, meaning however many pre-orders I get between Friday, August 12th and September 1st, that's all the books that I'm going to make. So every single book will be numbered and signed by me. You can even ask me to send you a note or tell you my favorite color or anything else. I'll do it. Uh, I'm doing this all by myself. So I have the time, kind of. Let's do it. I'm, I'm down. So yeah, if you like that and you want to do that, go ahead and, and order that right now. That would be super cool. Uh, I love you. Oh, and also, if you're part of my Patreon, you'll get 10% off. So if you're in the $5 tier or up, patreon.com slash Andrea Gazetta, you're going to get 10% off the book, which is pretty freaking cool. And I just really appreciate everyone who has supported me in any way that you supported me. Thank you so much for listening and I love you. Bye. Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Chowder. Ugh, you'll see why that's a bad idea later. Um, hey, guess what? It's an episode and it's a good one. And <laughs> it's a wild ride. Here's, here's a little bit of table of contents for you. First of all, we talk about diarrhea. Second of all, a lot. we talk about fast food restaurants. And surprisingly, those two conversations- Completely separate. Not related in the slightest. Not related at all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there is about 15 to 20 minutes of uh, talking. And look, I'm not going to tell you not to listen to the show because it's good talking. But if you're just here yeah. to listen to the fucking buckwild story of a clan member who eventually went on to become his own religious leader, this is a great episode and you're going to enjoy it. But I think you'll enjoy the whole thing. I just want to give a heads up so that I don't get a million fucking tweets that are like why did you bring the fucking fast food for war back to back to cold podcast because del taco deserves its due exactly so yeah that's just a heads up for you um i guess what i'm saying is content warning fast food wars uh people yeah. get mad about it if you come at me to defend burger king you will be blocked and i will figure out how to block you from listening to cult podcasts i will take away the show from you don't you fucking <laughs> we are not burger monarchists here no exactly i'm uh, yeah down with the burger bourgeoisie the burger z if you will um but before that, we just want to give a shout out to everyone 
who supports us on Patreon. Uh, rewards are coming. Uh, I've gotten the first order, or I have to go pick up, rather, the first order of shirts. Uh, so that stuff is doing well. Uh, if you want to help support the show, go to patreon.com slash podcast. Helps us make this thing. I feel like um, it's pretty obvious, but Paige and I do the entire show ourselves uh, with the help of an editor. Shouts out to Elliot. <laughs> That is pretty obvious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're researching. We're doing it like it's all us. So if you want to help us make this thing, it, uh, uh, help us do that. It, 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 it's a good way to help support the show. So, uh, yeah, patreon.com slash cult podcast. Um, and, uh, yeah, without any further ado, let's hop into the show. Hello. 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 For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always... These are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have A diarrhea. A whole lot of shit. Yep. Yep. So much diarrhea. <laughs> so I woke up this morning at 845. I did this thing uh, called eating cheese even though I'm lactose intolerant because I'm not a fucking pussy. And uh, what happens to me is I no longer need an alarm clock because my body will shoot awake at 845 and go, you shit or you die. Like some kind of weird poop mobster that's threatening to shit my kneecaps out if I don't go run to the bathroom and take a dump. (laughs) Uh, Likewise, I got some sort of food poisoning and uh did the horrible sin of trying to eat a bagel yesterday and my body was like fuck you and the bagel you wrote in on <laughs> and so i've been sick for days um my favorite was what i told mikey about how sick i was he just said congratulations on your weight loss journey <laughs> <laughs> which was really funny to me uh but also oh. i have lost like 15 pounds <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's just that's that's brown water weight. Yeah, that's that's like, hey, you know how you had all this like liquid because your body's like seventy percent water. We're gonna take you down to like a cool forty percent. Oh yes, but you know what? Like they say, the show must go on. It doesn't matter how much you're pooping. (laughs) Can I can I also, by the way, share with you? uh, When I was a kid, I used to watch stand-up comedy specials on Mm -hmm. like Comedy Central, Um, and I love stand-up. And you know me, I started stand-up when I was seventeen. I started it early, so I I knew pretty early on that I wanted to do stand-up. But I also was struggling with undiagnosed lactose intolerance. And so I would have to shit all the time. And I just thought that there was something wrong with me, which I guess there kind of is. Uh, But at one point in my childhood, I considered like, 
well, if I ever have to record an hour special and I have to shit, what do I do? And I realized that I was willing to just shit my pants on stage and try to pretend <laughs> like no one would notice. I mean, it depends on how drunk they are. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what I'm saying. If I'm willing to shit my pants, if me as a 15-year-old boy was like, I'd shit my pants in front of 100 people, yeah, I don't give a fuck, then I'm not going to let a little bit of diarrhea stop me from recording the best cult podcast based in Los Angeles, California that there is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Shut the fuck up, podcast. Yeah, assholes. Enjoy your Spotify deal, you Joe Rogan fucks. <laughs> Enjoy having like a studio and a support system. <laughs> yeah. And congratulations on your book, I guess. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. It's been a weird day. <laughs> I hope Greg and Vanessa will tune into an episode and they just hear shitting on their fucking job. Probably. I Somebody <laughs> somebody joined the Facebook recently and was like, I'm looking for this one episode, but I can't find it. What, can you tell me what Greg and Vanessa and they were like, wrong place, wrong time, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> you have stumbled into a realm of chaos and we cannot help you. It's like pulling up into the wrong neighborhood, rolling down your window and being like, uh, hi, my fellow Crips. Does anyone know where to find the blue store? And a bunch of dudes are like, <laughs> welcome back, buddy. <laughs> Hello and meet our cardboard cutout friend fat ass. Oh god. If you're not watching this fool on Hulu, you should be. Absolutely. Oh man. Well, are are you excited? I know it's been a while cuz I we pre-recorded so that I could go to my sister's wedding and mm -hmm. then come back and record. So it's been a while. Um if you'll recall from last time, we covered the mob versus the KKK. Uh, Paige, you brought me maybe the tastiest story that I could have ever possibly imagined. One that I want to definitely make a movie out of that stars, might I might add, a man whose name is Oral. I'm not going to forget a single piece of information, okay? Oral, Oral's going to come back in this episode, my dude. Absolutely he is. And I... <laughs> have never been more hyped i also uh i got Ugh. many messages about it because i said jefferson or jeffersonville interchangeably in the last episode do you want to confirm it is jeffersonville <laughs> yeah i liked how a lot of people were tweeting at us and were like uh did you call jefferson jeffersonville kind of cringe and it's like okay well there's only one city that matters in this entire fucking godforsaken country and it's Chicago, Illinois. That's right. <laughs> I'm turning my back. I'm a Midwesterner now. Uh, no, I'm not. And I don't care about any city. <laughs> I would never give a shit. It, it is Jeffersonville. And there is still a a like temple and a bunch of stuff that's related to this guy there mm -hmm. in Jeffersonville. Ville. Um, <laughs> and we'll we'll talk about it a little bit. Because what kind of happens, and we'll get to it at the end of this episode, is this dude has kind of like what should have been a dramatic fall from grace and instead is kind of like a fade out. And what a lot of people don't know is what happens in episode three when he's just like, I know I'm not popular anymore and everyone forgot about Dre, but it's time for me to start a cult. So <laughs> we're, we're going to get to some fun shit. All right. Let's before we do anything else dive into sources so uh we have two articles by Stephen hassan the message cult and the racist effects of william branham's message churches uh we also have uh, a uh 
essentially a podcast, but also transcript from NPR Illinois on um, booze, blood, and bombs prohibition in Southern Illinois. And we have an article from the St. Louis Post Dispatch of August 16th, 1993. Church attracts protest shelter for minister in sex case criticized, which I know is like if you put a bunch of words in a jar and shook them around. But essentially what happens is a church later on in like episode three is going to use a lot of the things that happened in this episode to basically shelter some people who they should, probably should have reported for shit. So. Ah, yes. The Taco Bell method of creating new things. You put a bunch <laughs> of words in a jar and you pull out fiery Doritos nacho quesalupa. Okay. Yes. We've got a new product. <laughs> we got it. I I resent Taco Bell because I only love their new things ever. Like <laughs> like whatever the special is where they're like cheesy quesalupa question your life choices. That's the one I like. And yeah. then it's like I like love it and want to eat nothing else and then it's gone. Over and I never get to have it again. Over at Funhouse, we had a podcast where we debated the best fast food restaurants. Ooh. Um, we had a whole bracket of them, and okay. we made a lot of people very angry with the choices that I've made on I'm the sure bracket. people are very intense about their fast food. Yeah, there were a lot of people who were angry at me because uh, we didn't give Burger King their day in, in court, and uh, I'm here to say, officially speaking, Burger King can suck my fat dick, okay? <laughs> See, I don't, I don't hate Burger King. In a pinch, I'll go to a Burger King. Oh, Paige, I hate to say it. I really do. And you know I don't mean it, but you can suck my fat dick, okay? <laughs> Burger I, but King... I also don't eat their burgers. I will usually only eat their, like, chicken sandwiches and whatnot, so. Yeah, their chicken sandwiches are still ass. The point is, is that people are. I mean, if there's a Jack in the Box, I'm going to Jack in the, in the Box instead. Okay, exactly. Jack in the yeah. Box, by the way, not originally listed on the bracket. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. What are we talking about? Jack in the Box is yeah. like, like okay. Now, granted, there's a lot of places I would choose over Jack in the Box if I have the option. But those are like your top tier fast food. But if we're talking like fast food in general, I'm almost always choosing Jack in the Box. But they are local. Like there's not all like when I go to other states, Jack in the Box isn't there, and it makes me sad. That's why but, you know. that's why I didn't include it necessarily. Yeah. Um, I also thought about just doing a throwaway one and having Hardee's versus Carl's Jr. Uh, <laughs> and then somebody tweeted at me that apparently there is a difference, and I I don't know how, but okay, sure. I mean, I've been to both a Hardee's and a Carl's Jr. and I, I did not. I can't I spot. I can't spot a difference. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, the, uh, the well, these are the same picture. Yeah. Anyway, mm -hmm. but that's how we, yeah, we, we discussed at length Taco Bell and their ability of, like, there's just a room over at their headquarters in Irvine that, like, every two weeks a door opens and weed smoke billows out and a man <laughs> goes, Doritos, burritos, and then closes the door again. <laughs> Well, they also <laughs> they also have a Twitter alert for diarrhea, don't they? <laughs> yes, they do, which I, is <laughs> information that I learned when I worked there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I used to work for the social media, and uh, the fishbowl, as they call it, has a screen with the top trending words, and diarrhea is 
always in the top five. <laughs> always. Was Raising Cane's included in Raising this? Raising Cane's was talked about, but not included. That's the <sighs> thing. Is It was an hour-long podcast. We only had a certain number of spots. The chicken that we put up was KFC versus Popeye's, and Popeye's Ooh, won. I w- Popeyes, yeah, for sure. Yeah, people tried yeah. to go. People tried to convince me that KFC was good based off the sides, and I, I almost punched somebody. No, because the sides at Popeyes are even better. Like, Thank I, you. Popeyes any day of the week. Their Cajun fries fucking slap, my dude. Um, also, their nuggets are really good. Yeah. I'm just glad that nobody put Chick Fil A up because their breading is soggy. You yeah. fucking heard me. They need to turn up their fucking fryers and quit fucking around. But also, just be nice to gay people, okay? Like, that's the whole reason we don't eat there. Yeah, I literally, like, I can't... There's nothing I can get at, at Chick-fil-A that I can't get better somewhere else. And also... Thank you! Thank you! Yeah, it's... It, it, Chick-fil-A is like... Chick-fil-A is like my white aunt tried black food and was like, I'm going to try to make it for you, but it's going to be a little bit better. And it's like, shut up, Melissa, you dumb idiot. <laughs> Here's how you know that Chick-fil-A is not up to snuff. McDonald's came out with a biscuit chicken sandwich for breakfast, and it's fucking better than Chick-fil-A's sandwich. Like, you kidding me, Chick-fil-A? You only do one thing, and it's chicken. And fucking McDonald's, who, like, stumble bumbles their way through trash food, has a better (laughs) breakfast chicken sandwich than you for half the price. Get fucked. The final bracket. I have very by the strong way. opinions about it. This is why this bracket got violent. I'm I sure. know. Yeah, yeah, it did, and that's the best part is that like it got violent in the recording, and then we released it, and then all of the comments are like, first, like, okay, first of all, there fuck is a- you and the chicken you claim. <laughs> There is a post on the Funhouse subreddit that I got uh, that I saw last night before falling asleep, and the title of the post is "Cancel Armando Torres." And I went, <laughs> "Oh God, what, what happened? I, what did I do?" And then I opened it, and they were like, I, "So I just watched it, the first sentence is so I just watched the Fast Food Funhouse podcast, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, all right." Buddy. What was their What was their their uh, <laughs> reasoning they got mad because i gave a shout out to a get this a fucking dutch fast food restaurant that i went to when i was in the netherlands it's called fabo it's fucking awesome i love it i mentioned it as a as a way to be like look i made this as broad as possible for the united states market i'm sorry and uh their post was like how dare you mention fabo and not even put it on your list you fucking idiot and it was like (laughs) what I was the only one who had been to it. Yeah, no one else has been to Fabo. And secondly, I'm going to have a hard time convincing you that Fabo is better than anybody because you're just going to go like, okay, well, what do they have? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know. It's called like Krawenkraten and it's fucking delicious. And it's just, <laughs> and it, it's it's fried. That's as much as I can tell you. Okay. It's fried. Mm-hmm, I don't know mm-hmm. what's in it. You bite into it and there is just a... An, unrecognizable it's like a stew is inside of this crispy little nugget it's so good it's so good it's like little croquettes and little burgers and they have these fries that are fucking wild they have these okay Paige, this is the last thing I'll say, and because we've been recording for fifteen yeah, we got, minutes, yeah, we we got to fucking record this episode. And I'm sorry to have br- brought this energy into a second podcast. No, I I could talk about this all day. Del Taco, honorable mention. Uh, go ahead. Del Taco was the one I wanted to put in, but I couldn't. Okay, because that's, that's that's Jake and I's go to is Del yeah, Taco. It's the best. Uh, controversial opinion: best fast food fries. Best fast this food is, fries. 
uh, roast battler of note, Doug Fager, and I have asserted this many times to people. And also Doug Fager thinks the Double Dull Burger is one of the best burgers you can get locally in Los Angeles at that level of fast food. And you know what? He's not fucking wrong. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. You can also get like anything there with Beyond Meat. It's one of the few places where you can get Beyond in literally anything on the menu. Which is better than Impossible in my uh, humble opinion. Hate them both, but like that people have <laughs> options. <laughs> um, okay. The last thing that I'll say was the fries that they have at Fabo. Uh, and it's some fucking dutch word or something but it was translated to me and it basically means war fries <laughs> i'm in i'm in they are they are french fries that are not dissimilar to mcdonald's french fries they're pretty okay, similar okay and then on top of them um mayonnaise okay a peanut butter sauce no, whoa no what and then grilled onions i'm out i am out and i know I, I know i knew you were gonna pull back <laughs> i knew it but here's the thing Paige. that is war they're, that is a declaration of war they're fucking good man <laughs> they both fucking rocks they also had the best milkshake i have ever had in my entire life Ooh, nice. Fabo nice. fucking rocks, and I'm sorry I didn't include it. If you want to hear more, listen to the latest episode of the Funhouse podcast that came out <laughs> last week. I'm so sorry to everyone, and I'm sorry that I brought it here, too. I was just trying to make an anecdote, and I've made it worse. And I'm sure, I'm sure in and outs fries got slandered during this, this they fast did, food war. And I am not going to lie to you. I did a good fair amount of it because I think in and out is mid as fuck. I love their burgers, and I personally like their fries, but I know a lot of people don't. I, for me, like, that burger just plain on its own is better than most. The bun is better. The yeah. meat is better. Like, that's where they win. Here's here's the deal. Del Taco is California-style Mexican food, right? Yeah. Yep. But it's like, if you live in California, there's a million better places you can go for California-Mexican food. Yep. Um, you can get it right off the street. The thing is, is like, if you want that fast food style, Del Taco's probably the best there is of that style. Yeah. Similarly, In-N-Out is Smash Burger California Surfer Burger food. Yes. And yeah, in California, there's a ton of better places you could go. But if you just want like consistent, I know what I'm going to get. Yep. It's probably top tier of that kind of food. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would say that's a fair assumption. Like if yeah. I wanted to go get like a a good smash burger, like sit down, go get one, I could. But if I just want to be in my car and I know it's not going to suck and they're probably not going to get my order wrong, I'm going to in now. Yeah, exactly. And so that's if my I have point. the time to sit in the line. <laughs> yeah for sure yeah so in and out in and out has that but i hate when people put it above that pedestal like some people will be like in and out is the best thing in the entire world and it's like mm, it's a good version of a better thing yeah so. i do i will say five guys needs cheddar cheese if they want to try and claim that they're elevated exactly how are you gonna do that how are you gonna charge me 10 bucks for a burger and not have cheddar cheese with fucking craft singles on it my dude get out of here fuck man i want a burger now i i who knows how long until i almost poop my pants again we gotta do this episode we gotta okay. do this episode yeah i'm so sorry we'll put it no, in it's all good. on it <laughs> 
We already did sources. It was it was during the fast food rant. Let's uh, talk about oral, please. Let's talk about oral. Uh, listen to your partner and find out what they want. Uh, oh, you know William. what really turns me on when you eat McDonald's fries before you eat me out. <laughs> no, don't do that. I'm pretty sure that's how you get a super yeast infection. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, it, you definitely at least get salty lips it's, yeah. it's just bad okay i got an so msg Branham, infection <laughs> oh gotta go see your ms gynecologist <laughs> oh, gross fuck. all right so william branham is is who we were talking about so in 1934 william branham took over roy davis's church in jeffersonville uh now roy davis as you'll remember went on to be the leader of the Ku Klux Klan at the time and was currently incarcerated for a bank job. <laughs> like, dude was a literal criminal. Okay. <laughs> if you recall from the last episode, it was a while back, where he and his brother straight up, like, robbed a bank, and then because nobody shared records, they just, like, went to the next state, changed their names, claimed to be preachers. No one questioned it until eventually someone was like, hey... He seems to be sex trafficking teenagers and, you know, snowball. So, Roy's in prison. William takes over. But it was short-lived because three months into his time as the head pastor for the church, it burned to the ground in a mysterious fire. Oh, God. Now, here's the thing. No one really knows how this fire happened. Or who burned it down. Uh, I'm going to make a full-on conspiracy theory level case here. What do churches have? Crosses. Who likes burning crosses? The fucking clan. <laughs> Follow the money. Hallie Burton. I'm just kidding. There, so nobody you, knows what happened to the church. It was a mystery. No, I get that. But your insinuation is that a clan member went to the church, saw all the crosses, and then went, <laughs> I got to burn them. And then their training just kicked in. Right. Like, yeah, like somebody walked past and they're like, toaster, bread, swallows, airborne. And they're like, and just like activate it. <laughs> just go winter soldier on all the crosses. Oh, my God. Yeah, it is very winter soldier because they are white as shit. Um, white as snow. But remember, William Brandon is also basically a clan member. Yes. Like he, there are some debates as to you know if his aka membership was official but he consorts with them he's been on tour with them he's friends with them <laughs> he is a sen if even if he doesn't have like a number and a robe he's a clan member yeah a hundred percent we're it's the if it's the cold podcast official statement i feel like that if you're in the clan at any in any amount if or like being a part of it like you're just in it all right right although right. i do want to say that i love the phrase he went on tour with them and it's just like he did oh damn dude i saw the clan in chicago it <laughs> rocked man i saw the clan open for acdc <laughs> oh damn dude they brought out kid rock it was lit bro <laughs> oh man uh, so the church burned to the ground. They set up a tent just a few blocks away mm -hmm. to begin holding services in that tent so they could still hold services. 
They also, at some point, hold services in an orphanage nearby that had a meeting room, which is a wild sentence because that implies this orphanage is fucking huge. Yeah. Uh, But also, it seems like they were helping to support the orphanage. So I think that was kind of like it was one of their ministries. And so they would occasionally do stuff there to like raise money and things like that. It also implies that at some point the orphans have meetings that they need to go to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, this council of orphans comes to order. Yes. Hi, I'd like to discuss parents and why we don't have them. And then yeah. a whole room of children go, oh. Uh, so over the next two years, working out of the tent and the orphanage, the congregation <laughs> worked to construct a brand new church where the tent was. So not on the original footprint of the original church, but a few blocks away. But stones throw from their burned out original church. Yeah. I'm so the phrase working out of a tent in an orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of good sentences in this one. We can move on. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's a lot. Uh now, newspaper articles at the time gave this church a couple different names. So some of them identified it as the Pentecostal Tabernacle, but the official registry of the city of Jeffersonville lists it as the Billy Branham Pentecostal Tabernacle, uh, which just reminds me of Uncle Baby Billy, yeah. which is 100% what this guy is going to become is Baby Billy. Um, anyway... So that was in November of 1936. Around this same time, he also purchased a truck. And it says truck. I think this means like 18-wheeler or bus or something like that because he has it painted with advertisements for his healing ministry and he would tour in it. So to me, that sounds more like a bus of some sort, but they say truck. Um And it's while he's touring and performing these smaller healing services that he met the woman who would be his wife, a woman named Amelia Hope Brumbach. Now, Amelia, in a wild turn of events for our episodes, was only four years younger than him, which, by the way, an achievement on a cult podcast episode that almost never happened. Yeah, I guess I on this show, when you say they met their wife, I automatically assume they're a 12 year old girl. Yeah, yeah, I mean, honestly, par for the course. Um, So she was only four years younger than him. But if you remember how old he is, that means she's still 19. Ooh, okay. All right. Uh, They actually met for the first time ever when she was 16 and he was 20. God. According to him, nothing happened. They just worked together at the church where she was responsible for the children's programs Yeah, what, um, and worked at the orphanage. Whatever, Dane Cook. Okay, yeah, exactly. Buddy, I don't believe it. Uh, now, allegedly, they didn't start dating till she was 20. Allegedly. Um, and they married the following year. But something weird happened because they had a baby real quick. Um, and that child's birth date is reported a few different ways to a few different places. Now, in all of Branham's biographies, it's actually reported as 1935. However, government records reported as 1934. Why is that important? Because it means he was conceived out of wedlock, something that Branham would later rail against in his angry sermons. So he later in life will try to change his oldest son's birth date 
because it would have suggested that he was sleeping with this woman before he married her. So, you know, hypocrisy and whatnot. Yeah, and also, I just, I don't know. I never, I guess I, it's difficult for me to see why it's ever been an issue, but I guess that, like, the Bible does do have them things about how, like, spilling your seed is a sin because you should only (laughs) have sex to make more babies. But, like, I don't, I don't get it. Anyway, and a lot of it, I mean, it's, I should maybe at some point do a series, maybe a speculation zone or just a series on the evolution of purity culture, Mm -hmm. because the ideas around premarital sex or extramarital sex have changed drastically even over just the last few hundred years. So like, it, it is kind of fascinating how like, some people cared, then other people didn't care, and and some cultures care, and some cultures don't care, even though they all have the same Bible. It's yeah, fascinating. Maybe someday when I have time. Uh, yeah, but maybe maybe this new advertiser we got c- cooking up in the works <laughs> might want to buy a special episode we make. I feel like maybe not that one, uh, but <laughs> unfortunately, this union between William and his wife didn't last because tragically Amelia was diagnosed with pulmonary tuberculosis in January of 1936 while pregnant with their second child, which is extra not good. Um, She is extra susceptible to diseases at that point, but she does deliver their daughter, Sharon Rose later that year in October, Um, right before she gave birth. William Branham had held a multi-week healing revival in which he reported eight healings and it was supposed to support healing her, but he couldn't heal the one person that really counted Damn. because in 1937 months later, Jeffersonville was ravaged by the Ohio river flood of 1937. That's why it's named that. Cause that's when it happened. The church was badly impacted by the disaster and he and his family's home was actually destroyed or at least ruined to the point where they had to move out to repair it. But unfortunately, it's even worse than you think because pulmonary tuberculosis is worsened by cold, wet climates. And usually the prescription to cure the symptoms was trips to the mountains or dry climates. But a flood was the last thing his wife needed. And only a month after the flood, even though his church had survived and he went back to performing healings at the temple, his wife's health sharply declined and she was bedridden until July of that year when she succumbed to her disease. And four days later, his daughter who had been born with the disease died as well. And he had lost half his family within the course of a week. Now I know it's fucking brutal, but here's the thing. He's never one to pass up a story that's going to make him money. So this is an interesting point in his life because he starts to blame himself for their deaths in a very weird way. Um, And I can't quite tell if this is all smoke and mirrors for boosting his brand or if he really does blame himself. But he does seem to kind of characterize their deaths as God blaming him for things. Um, And I think a part of it might be that if he had bought into his own bullshit and thought he was really healing people, that he might blame himself for not being able to heal them. 
but it also feels like he knows he can't heal people later. I don't know. But so he starts to tell the story of their deaths in a very weird way. In a lot of accounts, he claims that they just died in the actual flood itself. Completely leaves out the part about tuberculosis. He claims that literally the floodwaters came and they drowned. Um, and that's a little weird because we know that she was sick prior to the flood. And we know that she was alive after it. Like people saw her around. Um, but alternately, he says that they died because God was mad at him for not accepting Pentecostalism, which is strange because they were all part of a Pentecostal church, a church that he was the head pastor of. So like that doesn't seem accurate either. Um, he really kind of trots this story out anytime he wants sympathy from people. And he basically is like, they died so that I could continue on the ministry the way that I would like. It's very, he makes it part of his mythology. It's very strange. But the definitive story is that they both died of tuberculosis following that flood. God, Jesus. Yeah, it's weird. And he uses that story in his revival specifically for the next few years until 1941, where he met the woman who would be his next wife, mm. with whom he then has three more children over the next 15 years, and they stay married basically through the bulk of the rest of his life. He continued to serve as a pastor in that church while also traveling to revivals until 1946 through World War II. And he didn't serve in World War II, but he did benefit from the aftermath. Since a lot of soldiers were coming home, some of whom were injured, some of whom had PTSD, some of whom just needed something to believe in, and now they had revivals to go to. And he became known for his huge tent revivals. One of, there, there's two different books about kind of this period of revivals, because he's not the only one doing it. Um, a writer named John Crowder has described this period as the most extensive public display of miraculous power in modern history. However, conversely, a different Christian author <laughs> um, and counter-cult activist man named Hank Hanegraaff has said, quote, that this was all a hoax and condemned the movement as a cult in his book, Counterfeit Revival, which is actually a very, very good book about this time. Um, and all of the people involved in these revivals so even within Christianity, people differ wildly on what this time was. Some people are like, this was great. God was moving in the world. And other people are like, these were con men. This makes us all look bad. I fall into camp B, I would say. But okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like there are very few good things that come out of men shouting in tents. I feel like... Um, Let's see. Of the good things there are, there are Coachella. Someone telling you s'mores are ready? Yeah. 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 Ten, yeah. Basically, s'mores dad and Coachella are the only two. And then yeah. everything else is pretty bad. Right. 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 Now, his popularity began to grow. And one of the most significant growth points in that was he had a series of meetings in 1942 in Milltown, Indiana where reportedly he cured a young girl. What did she have? Pulmonary tuberculosis. Um, the news reported that she was cured, uh, but they couldn't find her or prove it. And to be honest, the one thing that we know he can't cure 
is pulmonary tuberculosis. Yeah. Oops. Um, God, he's just turning into Anakin Skywalker. And yes. it's kind of dark. Padme, no! Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, t- pulmonary tuberculosis had the high ground and fucking yeah. cut his ass down. Uh, she died of a broken heart, but also pulmonary tuberculosis. Now, here's where he starts really leaning into the story that his wife and child died in the flood. Because he can't publicly say that it was tuberculosis, but then also have healed someone with tuberculosis. Because then people are going to be like, hey, why didn't you heal your wife and kid, though? And so he can't have that. I feel like... That's a better origin story, though, to be like, I used to not be able to, but since the death of my wife and child, I have dedicated myself to knowing how to, and God has given me the power. I had to know what loss was. Damn, should I be a preacher? Uh, No. God, no. The world Uh, would be the worse for it. Um, Nah, it's fine. I've dedicated my life to Iocane powder. Like, that's the version (laughs) this would be. Anyway... The news article about the girl that he cured with tuberculosis reached a man named W.E. Kidston, who was the editor of the Apostolic Herald, uh, which was kind of like a pamphlet slash newspaper in the Pentecostal movement. So he invites William Branham to participate in revival meetings that he was organizing. And he, in effect, becomes Branham's momager, like his first manager slash road booker. Okay. So with Kidston's help... He holds healing sermons and he starts getting attendance in the thousands. And I mean like 7,000, 8,000, like huge, huge meetings. Um, So huge that he would later claim at one of these meetings that he had an angelic visitation, like a like a vision May 7th, 1946. Now, he also didn't pay attention to the news at the time uh, because he would later find out that this was the same date that the nation of Israel, air quotes, was established, which again is drawn by people who didn't live there and organized with little to no care for the people for which it would actually affect. It is America drawing lines on a map when they have they have no idea what's happening there. Um, But that's the date that's given for the origination of those lines on the map. And later, he would actually try to take credit for that, (laughs) which is bonkers, because he was just in Indiana conning people at the time. Like, he had nothing to do with it. But he's like, my vision helped establish the nation of Israel. It's wild. (laughs) It is really crazy. (laughs) There's no proof for it, obviously. He he was not involved. This and honestly, like, given history, maybe it's better to not be involved with that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, this is like in high school, I had a friend who basically like ate Taco Bell and Doritos at the same time. It was like, oh, we should combine these. And then later the fucking Doritos Logos Taco came out and he was like, I did that. And it's like, no. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't, Kyle. Yumco Foods, who owns both of them, made it. And you're a fucking idiot. You All you did was smoke weed. Which again, as we have established, is what happens at Taco Bell headquarters. A door just opened, bong smoke billowed out, and a man went, Doritos, tacos, make it! And then close the door again. Yep. Uh, and I'm here to tell you, 
I have had Chipotle burritos where they were out of chips and stuck Doritos in them, and I'm pretty sure I talked about it on the show. Slaps. Slaps. You put chips in your Chipotle burrito? Okay, so I I really like crunch in my Mexican food in general. And I don't usually eat Chipotle burritos anymore. I usually go for like a bowl instead and eat it like nachos. That's like my perfect area for Chipotle. Um, But... When I did used to eat the burritos fairly often, I would get chips and I would stick them inside and then bite the rest of the burrito so I could crunch the chips inside. I know it's weird, um, but one time they were out of chips and so I had to stop at a gas station and all they had was Doritos. And boy, was I glad for that happy accident because it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fucking incredible. Also, I know that we spent too much time on fast food, so this is the last time I'll bring it up. But the other day I was uh, I went to a show afterwards we went outside we got some hot dogs from a street vendor um and they had sodas and one of the sodas that they had was flaming hot mountain dew was it good i've been curious but i not curious enough to drink it or try it <laughs> it was better than it had any right to be i'll say Damn. that much okay is it spicy it is spicy in the way that wasabi is spicy. It's like a throat kick after the fact. Interesting. Because I do love hot Cheetos in California burritos particularly. Mm-hmm. I find that delicious. It is an interesting flavor. It's not something I would seek out, but it's something that like you should try it, I think. Huh. Because okay. it's it's interesting. It's a sugary lime soda with a slight throat hit at the end and it's like everyone tried it everyone said the same thing it's it's not a spice that's forward it's a spice that hits you as it's going down interesting yeah it's weird as fuck but you should definitely try it my point is is that sometimes in life you think that you think of an idea or you something happens and then it happens in the world and you're like damn i could have been a visionary and it's like no this has been in the works you fucking moron and yeah you're dumb brighter higher minds have yeah. been on this for a while <laughs> your, your dumb idiot brain didn't invent something you just had the same idea as a hundred other people before well, that's you. that's like i mean and i know this is is weird to bring up uh forever for like the last few years and people are like what's your shark tank idea like as a joke my idea was always have henry cavill read romance novels and then lo and behold enter dipsy so like you know (laughs) sometimes great minds think alike that's all i'm saying yeah exactly dipsy is your doritos locos tacos dipsy is my doritos locos tacos and honestly i'm not jealous i'm not feeling like i invented it i'm just glad it exists i'm just glad it exists and there are a lot of parallels it's yummy it's enjoyable uh Mm -hmm. and it fills me with cream anyway so Uh, oh god oh so you were saying about the racist guy yeah yeah yeah. so speaking of conning people uh So people who attended Williams meetings at the time would swear that he knew intimate details about them and what they were suffering from and somehow seemed to have some kind of psychic sight into the issues they were dealing with. But there's a reason for that. Because William quickly realized that audiences that large needed a system. And it's this system that he would teach to dozens of other faith healers at the time. When people would enter the revival, they were asked if they would like William to pray for them specifically. And obviously most people said yes, because they want that. That's the whole reason they're there. 
So they would then be asked to fill out a card with their name, address, and information, along with their specific requests that they had for prayer. These cards, unbeknownst to the audience, were then given to Branham, who could then pull names and ailments seemingly out of thin air to heal random people in the crowd who weren't plants. So that if people interviewed them, they could like, no, I was I just came with my friend. I wasn't a plant. But he somehow knew all of this. And that became kind of a token thing for his revivals. That became a known element where he would start speaking and then he would say, so-and-so, you're hurting with this. And they were like, <gasps> how did he know? And it's because he was handed a stack of cards backstage, picked three or four, memorized those three or four, and then went out into the crowd and used them. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, where's James Johnson? And James Johnson stands up and he goes, you know my name. And he's like, yes, you're suffering from micro penis and james johnson's just like i didn't i, I, I mean i also ha i also have pulmonary tuberculosis you didn't have to pick that one out <laughs> i feel like maybe maybe you, you know, can't most people cure say it's more about the motion uh of the the dick than the size yeah. of the boat i don't yeah yeah hey, um have you tried flaming hot mountain dew yet oh god anyway williams revivals were bigger than anybody's and, and bigger a, than james johnson's penis apparently bigger than james johnson's penis or his sandwich emporium uh, <laughs> oh god but there's a reason that his were bigger than anybody else's there's something different about his revivals and it's kind of dark because william knew that this was a numbers game he's not stupid so he made a decision early on that all of his revivals were going to be what interracial oh now i see your confusion because this guy is literally a member of the clan <laughs> yeah right so he starts keeping that on the dl hardcore um and he starts getting a lot of press for his revivals being racially open and remember this is the late 40s early 50s and this is a time of widespread racial unrest like this is jim crow south and he's one of the few people that is integrating his revivals. In fact, a local African-American minister participated in one of the St. Louis meetings and claimed to be healed, which brought even more of the African-American community into the revivals. And Branham wasn't going to turn away their donation money. So he even held interracial meetings in the southern states, like in full Jim Crow South. And to satisfy the laws locally, they would have to put rope down the center of the crowd to divide them by race because mm. that's what the local laws required of them. However, an author and researcher at the time, a woman named Patsy Sims, noticed an interesting coincidence about the meetings. Specifically, all of the venues where William Branham was hosting his meetings had hosted KKK rallies just days prior always in the same week and patsy sims attended both she attended one of the kkk rallies and then the healing revival right after and noticed the same groups of people at both events and according to stephen hassan's articles and research kkk recruitment was taking place at branham's revivals it's believed that he was coordinating his revival schedule to coincide with the Klan's schedule when possible 
And the revivals, particularly the ones with the rope divider, because then people didn't know what the white people were doing on one side, would be used as a demonstration to sway religious potential clan converts and promote their moral imperative. So basically for the people who were like, I don't know if I want to join the clan, like I'm a man of God, is this really the organization I should be part of? They then had the religious revival to be like, of course the clan is holy. Like the clan is aligned with the church, see? And they would use this as a way to then bolster those people who were on the fence. Jesus Christ. This yeah. is so d- Yeah, I I don't really know if I want to join the clan. Like what are the benefits? Do they, you know, <laughs> yeah. can I get What's like What's their dental plan? <laughs> Ooh, it says here that if I present my clan card, I get 15% off at a Denny's. Ooh. Now, but it he says got... here I have to pay 20% more at a Waffle House. That's <laughs> oh, so Oh no. That's so weird. Why is that Worth it. <laughs> Waffle House is delicious, and I will die on this hill. Oh, yeah. Waffle House fucking rocks. Fucking love me some Waffle House. Uh, Now, he got wildly popular because he was different, as we kind of established. Most revival preachers at the time were fire and brimstone, yelling, shouting, overplaying it. But Brandon was usually pretty calm, and he would tailor the way he spoke to his audience. So, when he had poor and working class audiences... He used poor grammar and folksy language. He would slip into it. But when he was speaking to more educated audiences or speaking to like church conventions uh, or ministerial associations, so like a bunch of other pastors coming to learn from him, he used perfect grammar and wouldn't use slang. He knew his audience and he would literally just kind of code switch between them. And he refused to discuss controversial doctrinal issues or political issues during the campaigns. And he claimed that he was only going to be a minister of, quote, great evangelical truths. Now, this is something that fucking Joel Olstein also does, by the way. A lot of televangelists do this. Keep your eyes out for it. It's the mark of a fucking con man. They avoid any difficult questions on doctrine to play to all sides. So I'm not going to condemn anyone. I'm not going to tie myself specifically to a religious doctrine. I'm just going to peace and love my way through questions so I please everyone and offend no one. This is particularly true whenever people ask Joel Olstein if he's a Christian. If you've ever wanted to like go down a rabbit hole sometimes people will ask him oh are you a christian do you believe in god and he'll say i believe in the peace and love and hope of the holy spirit or something along those lines which is not an answer and so i can give you a demonstration page ask me if i'm a christian mondo are you a christian (laughs) (laughs) who's not a christian basically we're just having a good time what even is a Christian? Christianity is a flat circle. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> yeah. It's but yeah, yeah, he he definitely does that. And and this is William Branham does it too. Yeah. Well, uh, I thought he was a penne vodka stole. Uh penne vodka stole? Yeah, is that not what he hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Pentecostal. Well, named it's... after the feast at Pentecost. Uh yeah, the penne coastal that right. when jesus went it's, to that it's olive penne garden. with like clams and molly you know like did you say yeah. molly i was gonna say mollusks and i was like mollusks. i think clams are mollusks 
Okay, good. Because for a second, I thought you pitched a chowder that's like half clam, <laughs> half molly. Can you imagine the vomit after that? <laughs> like, that's such a bad idea. Papa needs his party chowder. Um, dum, 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 oh, dum, dum. You're just fucking dancing with a belly full of clam chowder. Oh, oh. <laughs> and you just want to touch everyone, but you smell kind of like fish. Oh, oh yeah, we call is... it uh, MDM. Hey, I'm walking. <laughs> no way, that's New York, not Boston. MDM mind. Ocean is what it is, basically. <laughs> MDM, ma, come on. Oh man. Oh, oh God. fuck me. Anyway, here's how his meetings typically went. Usually, one of his underlings, because now he has like people that he's apprenticing. They would give an initial sermon and usually just kind of on general life tips kind of things. And then following his opener, he would get on the podium and he would deliver a short sermon, which was mostly about his own life and very short on scripture. It was Mm. a lot of like it was a lot of like stand up comedy that he's like, just like God wants. Right. (laughs) But not actually like because remember he he didn't he never went to seminary he doesn't really know what he's talking about he's just like in my life when my family died in that flood even though they didn't die in that flood like that's kind of what he's leaning on and then at the end he would request that god would quote confirm his message with two or three faith inspired miracles enter the cards that people filled out earlier. He only had to memorize two or three, and all he had to do was say, you're healed. No one proved anything was healed. People went home that night and were like, "I." it was crazy. Those three people got healed with no proof. So it fucking worked. This dude got super successful. Yeah, James Johnson's just like, yeah, it's super big now. It's super good. It's so big. It's, it's so as big. big as a foot long. In fact, I'm going to start a sandwich emporium yeah, and I'm going to hunt a bunch of elephants. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. My name's uh, James Jonathan. Yeah, and I have buckets of tuna at my disposal. <laughs> if you've got the molly, I've got the buckets of tuna. Come in now to try our our party time chowder. It's it's making me ill. Like, it's giving me sweats just thinking about fucking molly inside of clam chowder page smells are complimentary oh god (laughs) damn it oh god anyway he had gotten so successful by 1947 only a year later that he had to assemble a team to help him monitor the logistics of his empire and sometimes to preach in his place so the first addition to the team was a man named jack moore and another man named Young Brown. They had already been his assistants in managing his meetings. And Jack Moore brought along his friend, a man named Gordon Lindsay, who was a small-time publisher at the time. So Gordon Lindsay becomes Branham's publicist and manager, and he fucking crushes it. This dude had a talent for being a publicist before that was a real job. Like, he was like Hollywood celebrity levels of good at being this guy's publicist. You cannot understate his involvement. (laughs) I got you a write up in Rolling Stone and he's like the magazine. And he's like, no, that hasn't been invented yet. It's a literal stone. Yeah. It's the one that was in front of Jesus's grave. Like, duh. Like I thought you were a Christian. (laughs) It's just rolling through towns and people see it and it has your name on it. And that, Hey, 
that's good branding. There's no there's no such thing as bad publicity tied to a Rolling Stone that crushes your house. <laughs> well, and remember, this is the late 40s, 1947. So Hollywood and movie stars exist. Yeah. And this is he's using that same kind of like media machine. So they found their own Christian magazine called Voice of Healing. And it's essentially a magazine of like all things God, but it also conspicuously only had ads for William Branham's sermons. So like it's the first Fox News of its day in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Where also, it, sorry, go ahead. Oh, it claims to be general news, but it is definitely biased. Yeah. I also um I wanted to say when you brought it up that his team sounds a lot like somebody describing my life. Like I am a young brown who's trying to jack more. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make my own Molly Chowder. <laughs> oh no! Oh god! Oh, why is there? Why is Armando's apartment covered in vomit and semen? <laughs> oh, he must be on that party chowder, my dude. Oh god! It's I don't know how to describe it in a better way, but I I or explain it. I guess is the word I was going for, but clam chowder mixed with molly gives me the same vibe as the movie the lighthouse i don't know how else to explain it (laughs) oh i mean i get it though yeah right (laughs) it makes sense but i don't know why but anyway all right it's fine anyway uh so through the end of the 1940s they tour canada as well as the coasts no longer were they a midwestern phenomenon they toured the entire country um, and in 1947, they had a, a huge meeting in Kansas City uh, where they first met in person someone that had corresponded with them pretty frequently through the magazine, a man named Oral Roberts. Hey, they call me Blowy Rob. How's it going? Yeah, it's me, Blowy Robs. Uh, so Blowy Robs <laughs> told the audience at this revival that he believed that William Branham was, quote, set apart just like Moses, essentially implying that he was a modern-day prophet. Oh. Yeah. I don't um, I feel yeah. like that's a pretty big no-no in religion. A lot of times. Yeah, well, it depends. I mean, if you're Mormon, it's pretty par for the course. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Uh, fair enough. If, if you're not Mormon, not as widely accepted. A lot of people take umbrage with that and that's that second bucket of people who are like this is all con artists mm. that's where these people break off um yeah funny a, lot, thing ab- a lot of people take umbrage to that well, that's where you get so mad you jerk <laughs> off under you gotta, a bridge yeah it's why you gotta pour a party chatter all of it <laughs> jesus christ uh funny thing about healing though uh william branham didn't seem to be able to do it to himself weird oh mm. um After a year of steadily touring, his exhaustion began leading to health issues because if you don't take care of yourself while you're touring you and if you don't take regular breaks, it will hurt you. (laughs) Like as people who have traveled too much, it's bad for you. Um, And he reported to his audience that he was having a nervous breakdown and checked into the Mayo Clinic. Now, oddly enough, a lot of his symptoms seemed to coincide with allegations of fraud from his healing revival. 
Wow. Coincidence? I think not. Actually. Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, but audiences at the time did say that they reported seeing him staggering from intense fatigue during some of his meetings right before he went into the hospital. Oh, God, he's having a breakdown. Somebody get him to the whitest possible hospital. And somebody's like, I know about the Mayo Clinic. And they're like, go, go, go. Go, go, go. Add a peanut butter sauce onto it and onions for some reason. <laughs> get him to the war hospital. So he took a step back from the tour. And this pissed Gordon Lindsay off because he had built an empire out of the magazine and the touring. And also because he was like totally skimming cash. <laughs> Yeah. And okay. if Branham wasn't touring, then there was no cash to skim. So William Branham insisted that Gordon take over managing the tour and the publication and basically said, figure out what you're going to do while I'm sick. You handle all of it. And so Gordon Lindsay was like, great. You know, blowy robs. <laughs> He's going to take over for a bit. So. He starts managing Oral Roberts and having him do some of the tour dates. Um, and Oral Roberts gets very, very popular quickly because you know what? Everybody loves Oral. Yeah, everybody. And he's also got this like this extraordinary voice that he can do from like the back of his throat. He's yeah, got a he's very like, deep throat <sighs> is what we're trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's astounding. Yep. So... In a way, Gordon Lindsay ends up creating their own competition because as soon as the heat died down from the fraud news stories, Branham was back in action, claiming that an angel had told him that they should expand overseas. <laughs> All right. So in 1950, with William Branham back in the saddle, they did a huge Houston revival, and it got so big that it had to be moved from their venue to the Coliseum locally. And they used this opportunity to stage a debate on the merits of faith healing. So on January 24th, 1950, uh, there was a debate between uh, a man named Bosworth and the local Baptist minister, W.E. Best, regarding the theology of divine healing. And Branham was actually photographed during this debate. Um, Bosworth argued in favor of healing, and he was actually one of the ministers that um, Branham would have speak in his stead he was kind of one of his like lower level flunkies. Um, but W.E. Best argued against. He was like, this is faith healing is largely the work of con men. Um, however, Branham is photographed during this debate and it showed in the photograph a light above his head. Now, he and his associates claimed that this was a supernatural orb that had shown up in the photo. However, it was, in fact, the fluorescent bulbs in the ceiling of the Coliseum because he doesn't understand lens flare. Yeah, I remember this but, from the last one. Yeah, but you know who also doesn't understand lens flare? So many people in 1950. So oh a God. lot of people are like, it's an angel, like super buy into this photo, which is so strange to me. But yeah. they do. I probably made this joke last time, but I thought the exact same thing when I was watching the new Star Trek where I was just yes. like, wow, there's an angel over Kirk. Yep. Now, something else happens around this time, and namely, it's that Roy Davis gets out of jail, and he and his clan buddies, now out of prison, couldn't wait to hop onto William Branham's coattails. So in January 1951, they sent a U.S. congressman, a man named William Upshaw, 
to a Branham campaign in California. Now, Upshaw was very friendly with the Klan. That's why they wanted him to kind of co-sign on Branham's movement, because again, Branham's meetings are recruiting for the Klan. Now, William Upshaw had used crutches for years because of an accident. And after going to the meeting, he claimed he was miraculously healed. And this took Branham's fame to a whole new level. There's only one problem. As we find out later, Upshaw had to kind of confess, I guess, to the L.A. Times that he had already been able to walk without the aid of his crutches prior to attending the meeting, but brought his crutches anyway. He says that Branham's prayer increased his strength so that he could walk longer distances without the crutches. But none of that really mattered because he died months later still using those (laughs) damn crutches. (laughs) All right. (laughs) But as the story broke stateside, it didn't matter because Branham was already overseas and he held his first of five different campaigns in Europe through the 50s. He started in Finland, Sweden, and Norway, and then he made his way to South Africa. Then he made his way to Portugal, Italy, and India, finishing up in 1955 with Switzerland and Germany. And in his mind, he's fucking killing it. But when you're in that spotlight that much, journalists are going to journal. So while he's gone, To his American audiences, he had claimed that several high-profile events occurred while he was overseas. For starters, he had claimed that he had visited and prayed for King George VI while en route to Finland in 1950, and he claimed that the king was healed through his prayers. However, he never met King George, but also King George died within the time that Branham was there <laughs> claiming to have healed him. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. He also claimed to pray and heal the granddaughter of Florence Nightingale in a London airport. And they produced photos of a very, very gaunt emaciated woman who they claimed was Florence Nightingale's daughter. However, Florence Nightingale never married and had no children or grandchildren, and this was well known at the time. Like, everyone knew this. No one's ever been able to identify who this woman was that they are claiming was her her granddaughter. This is like whenever you see those pictures of people where they're like, I met Michael Jackson when I was a kid, and they show you a picture, and you're like, my brother in Christ, that is not... That is not, that is an Asian woman. I don't know what you're <laughs> yeah. talking about. I love this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My, somebody tweeted at me, uh, if you're this person, I'm so curious as to who you saw. Somebody tweeted at me, they were like, I think I just saw Paige at the Burrito Bomba in Glendale. And I was like, I have never been to Burrito Bomba, but it's very close to like where I live. Yeah. And I was like, I've been thinking about it. Is it good? But now I'm like, who did they see? Yeah. Who is it? Paige, Please take a picture. Paige, we're both very familiar of just like uh if there's a fat bearded man in anything, <laughs> people go, Is that Armando? Oh! Was Armando in Spider-Man? Well, that was true. I was in Spider-Man, actually. <laughs> I was and I am Hollywood Mondo now, and uh you can't refute you, it. You you were not, but there was a, a gentleman that looked like I would say looked like old pictures of you, not yeah. you present. There are, I get a lot of people, and I I understand that you mean well, 
I understand that. And I'm not trying to talk shit on you specifically, okay? <laughs> but there are people who will just send me pictures of the grotiest dudes and be like, this is my boyfriend. He looks just like you. Oh, I get that a lot. I, I have so many pictures of people who were like, we look just like you and Jake. And I'm like, I don't... I... No, 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 nothing against you. I'm glad you're happy and I'm glad you took this picture and you look happy together, but I don't see it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I get what you're trying to do. It's fine. But like, I'm a hot piece of ass mama. All right. You can't just like be showing me your dumb ass boyfriend and be like, you're the same. No, no, we're not <laughs> now. Okay. Have you ever had the flip side? Cause this happened to me a couple months ago. Cause sometimes people will make art of what they think that we look like. Mm -hmm. Uh, and someone made uh, like a digital rendering and I was skinny in it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what? That happens a lot. So at, over, at, over at the old fun house, we've got a lot of people who are very talented artists who are fans of the show. And uh, this is, again, not a slight in at all because everyone has different artistic styles and I totally get it. But there are people who draw everyone buff as hell and they will draw me. <laughs> and it's like, have you ever seen an anime with a fat person, but they still have like fucking abs? It's like that. Love it. It's Love awesome. It. It's like they got the shape right, but it's like, damn, bro, I am jacked, dude. <laughs> oh. <sighs> Please keep sending them. It's fun regardless. Yeah. And honestly, I also am here for pictures of random people that people think are me that are just another chubby brunette girl. <laughs> Look, I get it. And it's better than it used to be when I when uh, Andrea used to paint me. And in the early days of Colt Podcast, when we started like posting pictures, people would be like, you look like The Weeknd. And it's like, what are you fucking talking about at all? I Here's the thing. I feel like there's the same i don't think there's a resemblance but i think there's a similar vibe <laughs> that's not a compliment Paige. the weekend's not... out there fucking crushing the party chowder every single day Getting... crushing that party chowder i feel like the weekend has hpv eight times over Paige. it's not a compliment <laughs> to me you have frosted tips right now my dude you can't go out there claiming that anyone has more hpv than you Right now, you are the poster child for HPV. Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure Drake looks at your hair and is like, yo, you better wrap your shit, dude. Like, that's what's going on right now. Uh, anyway. Anyway, all yeah. this to say, all this to say, they thought this one lady was Florence Nightingale's granddaughter. She was not. Uh, but also... William Branham claimed that he had prayed for King Gustav V while in Sweden. But however, they, they never met. And also Gustav V died while he was there. So clearly he was not healing. We're, we're hitting a point where it's, it's, it's not that it's unbelievable. It's that it is believable. And he is the prayer angel of death where he is, <laughs> he is killing these people. He's the cat that sleeps on people in the nursing home. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> so oh. he claimed to have stopped in Egypt in 1954 mm. to meet with King Farouk. However, Farouk had been deposed in 1952 <laughs> and was not living in Egypt at the time. <laughs> they clearly did not meet. Uh, he also claimed to have visited the grave of Buddha. However, Buddha was cremated and has no grave. <laughs> this... Uh, did, uh, the, 
Hmm. It was so much easier slash hard to be a con man before you had a computer in your pocket and the internet everywhere you go. Because I'm just realizing that, like, yeah, all of these things are super easy to know, but, like, who in fucking America is gonna know? You can just tell them anything and it's fine. Yeah, especially if they've, like, never been out of their hometown. You could be like, I met with the king of Egypt. And they're like, what was he like? Yeah, Like, exactly. they don't even... Here's how stupid Americans are. I didn't even go to Europe, Paige, okay? I went to I went to Paris, Texas, all right? And I was there. And I just made up this shit about the war for us. <laughs> you think that's real? You think somebody would just put mayonnaise and peanut butter sauce and grilled onions on fucking fries? And then, oh, God, I miss Fabo. I miss it so much. <laughs> oh. So... Now that all of this stuff starts coming out, people start digging further. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they dug into some revivals in 1947 in Vandalia, Illinois. Vandalia? Jeffersonville. <laughs> Illinois. Yeah, it's Vandaliaville, Illinois. Thank you very much. <laughs> Pretty cringe uh, if you ask me. <laughs> so the news had reported that a man who was both hearing impaired and speech impaired from birth was pronounced healed. But failed to recover. And when confronted about this, Branham claimed that he had failed to recover his hearing because he disobeyed his instruction to stop smoking cigarettes. And critics at the time were like, hey, dude, he's deaf. (laughs) Like, he definitely did not hear you. Oh, my God. Like, you didn't sign it. You didn't have an interpreter. You didn't write this down. But also let him have his fucking cigarettes fuck you basically yeah you know how you know that classic thing where like if you smoke too much cigarettes your ears get all clogged up right <laughs> yeah who knew that you could smoke yourself deaf like that's not how that works yeah, that's it's, like it's insane it's the uh, yeah it's the we've uh, unless you're smoking through your ears which honestly hold on hold up hold up <laughs> testing <laughs> yeah <coughs> Oh, now that's nope. smooth, bold flavor. Oh, my God. Anyway, that same year, he was in Winnipeg, and he claimed to have raised a young man from the dead at a funeral parlor in Jeffersonville. <laughs> and this was reported across Canada and the United States, but people started looking into it, and they called all the funeral homes in Jeffersonville, and they were like, yeah, no, that I would have remembered that actually <laughs> if someone would have just come back to life. Like that's typically in my line of work, we only deal with dead people. But like, yeah, if somebody just popped up and was like, yo, I'm fine. I would have noticed. <laughs> well, Paige, that's that, that's what big funeral wants you to think. OK, they want you to think once you're dead, you're dead. Big funeral would actually be so upset if they found out you could actually come back. So <laughs> follow the money. OK. Yep. Uh, now, other stories started to come out. Speaking of following the money, yeah. uh, a man named Alfred Pohl, who was also a reverend, uh, claimed that Branham was frequently given large financial gifts from the people that he pronounced as healed, including the people who died. And in some cases, they even signed their wills over to him, which means he basically was grifting people and it had gone into his whole nonprofit organization because he's technically a church. So his group, his campaign, published a book called A Prophet's Visit to South Africa africa 
to publicize the success of their tour in South Africa. And that book basically listed dozens of healings. Well, people in South Africa were like, I don't remember any of that happening. And so they visited 50-ish, 46 to 50. It's kind of, there's differing accounts of the people that he had claimed to have healed while he was there. They basically went and investigated everyone in the book who was still alive. Uh, spoiler, <laughs> a lot of them were not still alive. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, angel of death, dude. All right. Um, after reviewing the results, uh, they concluded that none of those people had been cured. Many of them had died and they had accepted money fraudulently so when Branham tried to revisit South Africa in 1965 the government placed restrictions on his visa claiming he couldn't hold any revivals while in the country and if you are curious about more instances of him claiming to heal people and them not being healed because honestly frankly they're kind of fun to read the Wikipedia article on him which typically you can't use Wikipedia as a source but this one has links to a lot of newspapers at the time. And there's just an ongoing list of all the people that either died or didn't get healed. <laughs> and we could spend two episodes just reading through that list. And it's a fucking blast to read. God. So highly encourage you. If you have some time, go through and read it. Now, Ern Baxter who was one of the people who worked with William Branham at the time, was quoted as saying the following. I remember in the beginning of the healing movement, simply to report a healing would produce great jubilation and praise from congregations. However, the cynicism became so deep that the people's confidence was diminished. Even to this day, people are affected. People began to circulate healing testimonies, which when they were checked out by reputable journalists and reporters, even those who were friendly to the movement were found to be false. And the percentage of healings that stood up after investigation was embarrassingly low. And that's somebody who was part of his crew. Like, that's somebody who actually worked with him. So in 1955, following their tour in Europe, William Branham was mm, upset to find out that his campaign had no money. And they call it a campaign. His company, his, his ministry had no money. And even though he had continued to wear the same inexpensive suits he had worn previously and he didn't pull a large salary, somehow they had no money, even though they were getting a bunch of donations. And during the early years of his campaigns, donations had been able to cover all the costs of the trips, and they should have been able to this time, but instead they had a $15,000 deficit, which, by the way, in 2020 would have been about $140,000, give or take. This is when he found out that most of his entourage were skimming cash off of the enterprise. So because he hadn't been able to pay taxes, the IRS investigated his business. And it showed that he had not been paying close attention to any of the amounts of money flowing through the ministry. In fact, he wasn't documenting any of the donations he received or how the proceeds were used. For example, his annual salary was only $7,000, which, by the way, in 2020 is about $67,000 a year. Oh, my God. However, his manager, Gordon Lindsay, was taking an $80,000 salary per year, which, by the way, is about $760,000 in 2020 dollars. Comparatively, 
Oral Roberts, even, who was just a lay preacher that they only occasionally used, was taking $15,000. Everyone was getting paid more than William Branham because he just wasn't paying attention. They eventually settled out of court because they realized that he had no idea what was happening to his business. And he agreed to pay a $40,000 penalty, which is just under $400,000 today. And he was never able to completely pay off that penalty. And Gordon Lindsay ran off with his money. Like, because he wasn't the owner of the business, he wasn't financially liable. And so he kept most of the money he skimmed. And with his ministry failing financially and the relationships with his staff in shambles, mainly because they were all embezzling from him, William Branham knew there was only one way to go. Try to marshal the people who still believed in him and start his own damn religion. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Oh, my God. <laughs> I could see I could see William Branham being like, uh, what do you mean embezzlement's bad? It sounds so pretty. Sounds like they're putting a bunch of jewels in my business. That's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I here's the thing. You could absolutely argue that there is no William Branham in the way that we know him without Gordon Lindsay publicizing him the way that he did. Sure. But 80 grand is nuts. Yeah. It, like at that time, like that's wild. It is a wild amount of money that he was embezzling from him constantly. But also hearing about the kind of person he is, I'm kind of glad it got ripped off. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of dope. It's kind of dope. This guy just came in and was like, oh, I'm going to steal from this man who uses God to support the clan. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Well, fuck me. This has been an incredible episode. First of all, we brought the fast food wars back into it. Um, we talked about the war fries. Uh, we talked. Yep. We invented party chowder. Page party chowder. Party chowder. Um, and people most- all around with chowder. Come get it. <laughs> That's Aaron's party chowder. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh man. Well, hey. Thank you for joining us. This has been incredible. My name is Armando Torres. And if you want to find me online, you can. You can go to Mondo Does Stuff or at Mondo Does Stuff rather. Um, and find me on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Twitch. That's M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff. All one word. And um, yeah, I got a couple shows coming up. I'll be posting them on Instagram uh, when they happen. Um I believe I have one this weekend that is going to be very fun. Let me check my calendar. It is the 27th and it is in Los Angeles and it's a very fun concept for a show. Not only will there be a show, but there will be an art auction going on at the same time. It's very strange. It's very fun. It's my friend Jordan's show. It's a blast. You're going to love it. So come on out uh, and do that, and it's going to be very fun. And I love you, and I've ran out of things to say, and I'm daydreaming about Fabo. And goodbye, good night, and good luck. Hey, everybody. It's your girl, Paige. First of all, huge thank you to all of you that came out to see me in Sacramento last week. Uh, That was super fun. That was an amazing night of roast battles. Shout out to Jose. What's up? Uh, Jose has come to not only the battles in Sacramento, but has driven down to Southern California to go to some of our meetups and stuff as well. So proud of you for spending that gas money, my bro. Now, 
If you are in the area and you want to see another roast battle in Northern California, I am making plans to go back. Um, not sure when. Uh, so hit me up if you are in the area. And if you are in the area and liked seeing that battle, just go see them regularly. They have shows every week and they're amazing. Um, but if you're in Los Angeles, I'm battling Sarah Fatemi on the 23rd and Guam Felix on October 11th. So lots of stuff coming up. Uh, you can follow me at uh, Rampage Wesley on Instagram or TikTok or Page Wesley on Twitter for dates uh, to see all of those upcoming shows. Um, I will also probably be traveling to Austin and Chicago at some point later this year or early next year to battle as well. So if you're in those cities, keep your eye on Instagram. That's where the info will be. Uh, love you so much. Bye. Hell yeah. And hey, if you want to follow us as a show on Instagram, you can by going to at Colt Podcast. Or at Twitter at Colt Podcast Show. You can also send us an email to coltpodcastshow at gmail.com. Or if you want to send us party chowder, make sure you do it in a chilled container and send that to 3756 West Avenue 40, Sweet K, number 237. Like, like the, the Shining. shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. I've never heard of a more surefire way to get A, arrested, and then B, f clearly food poisoning. I told you, my body won't accept any food right now, so I'm choosing chaos. Yeah, you know what? It's fine. I like it, and we should do it. And um, if, hey, look, if you're, I know the chances of this are slim. If you live in Amsterdam and can send me Fabo, please, oh God, for the so love gross of God, by the time it got to you. for the love of Christ, please send me Fabo. I dream about their little burgers. I told you about Fabo, right? It's the place yeah, yeah, that yeah. like it's all automated. So you just walk up and you scan your phone and a little door opens and you grab the food and it's awesome. And I love it. It's incredible. They got croquettes. They got flaffenschaffen. It's fucking dope as hell. Please send me Fabo. I love you. Uh, goodbye forever. <laughs> forever. Uh, and quick reminder, you would have heard the ad at the beginning of the episode, but just to remind you, uh, Andrea Gazetta's book presale ends September 1st. So if you're planning on buying it, do it ASAP. Uh, because Absolutely. it's only on sale through the first and it's a super cool book i got to see pieces of it because my face is in it because you painted me so yeah. you're definitely gonna want to snag one of those yeah 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 and some of the emotions are there because we uh broke up but uh <laughs> no it's a fantastic show stratosphere fucking rocked and uh we collaborated a little bit on like how she was going to make the book and it was a really interesting process where she was like this is the artwork that I'm having and I want to do it this way and it's more than just like a book of pages with artwork it is its own thing and it's so yeah, incredible it's so cool. you are not going to want to miss it especially if you if you went to the to the showing it's like the showing in book form if you didn't get to go to the showing it's like it in book form. It's fucking awesome. And you are not going to want to miss out on it. Especially because like anytime Andrea makes something, it's not just to make something. They're very well made. She puts a lot of time and a lot of effort into everything that she does. It's fucking incredible. So go check that out. Um, uh, if I do this correctly, there is a link in the description that you can click on to get there. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, but I also assume it's just AndreaGazetta.com. It is. It's, it's her website, AndreaGazetta.com. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, you know what? Um, I don't have more to say. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I think for this one, I'm going to say don't drink the party chowder. Oh. And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. I can't imagine a worse feeling than drinking a chowder. I mean, this is why I don't do soups in general. You're wrong, but okay. (laughs) 